0: Good day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the Fresh Frozen Southerner podcast. My name is Jay. I hope all is well. All right, guys, I would like to talk to you today about the fable of the goose that laid the golden egg. Now, this was one of Aesop's fables, and the story goes, I'm sure everybody's familiar, but uh, the story goes that a farmer and his wife had a goose on their farm. And one day when the farmer's wife was collecting eggs, she found that one of the eggs was incredibly heavy. And when they cracked the shell off of the egg, it was solid gold. Now, initially, the farmer and the wife, they were over the moon about this. They thought it was just a gift from the heavens that that they had this windfall just laying in their lap. But the following day, the goose laid another golden egg. And at this point, the farmer and his wife got to thinking about the situation, got to talking talking about it amongst themselves. And they decided that the reason the goose was laying golden eggs had to be that there was a large chunk of gold inside the goose. And so the farmer went out, killed the goose, and when they cut it open, they found that it was just like any other goose on their farm. There was nothing special about it, and there was no obvious reason for the goose to be laying the golden eggs. But at that point, it was too late. The goose was gone. Now, Aesop penned this story as sort of a morality tale about Ruining something good by being greedy and overreaching yourself. Now, the farmer and his wife, if they had just left well enough alone and waited to see what happened, the goose may have continued to lay golden eggs for the rest of its life. We'll never know because they killed it, but they could have had a very good thing, but they, they got greedy, they did something drastic, and it just ruined the entire situation. I've always thought that story was a little more interesting if you consider it from the perspective of the goose. Because the goose had to be thinking, you know, I've really went above and beyond for you ungrateful bastards, and this is how you're going to repay me. And expecting more is sort of, it's it's one of the best things about human nature, and it's one of the ugliest things of human nature. I mean, that's the reason that we have strived and advanced all these years. It's the reason we have electricity and cars and airplanes and nuclear fuel. And every advancement of human nature is because we wanted better. We wanted to see what we could do do what what we could come up with it's the reason that starvation is now a very rare thing now i mean i understand that that still is reality for a lot of people on this planet but it's went from 99 percent of the population had a very concrete actual chance of starving to death through the winter down to where it's the exception rather than the norm and and that is a luxury that no other generation of humans has ever enjoyed on this planet but I've just always thought it was funny to consider what the goose must have been thinking in that situation. Because, I mean, it's just true of most people. You, you can't give people things. If you give somebody something, it means nothing to them. It has no value. They don't they don't care about it. And a lot of times they'll start to resent you because you, you could be giving them more or they feel shamed that, that they're having to depend on you. And I've always said, and I've said this for so many years. I don't remember if this is mine or if I heard it somewhere. But if you do something once, it's appreciated. If you do it twice, it's expected. And that's illustrated in Aesop's fable very well. You know, the first egg was viewed as this gift from God. You know, this this incredible windfall that they could never have expected to come their way. And by the second day, it was, you know, how can we can we get more of this faster? What's what's the reason that we're having to wait each day for one golden egg? And that's just the way humans are about most things, unfortunately. And the story of the goose that laid the golden egg just so perfectly encapsulates a facet of human nature that that's really brought Aesop immortality you know a lot of people are aware of aesop and his fables but most people don't really know any of the stories and and just the ones that have entered our consciousness you know you hear sour grapes all the time that's from an aesop's fable Uh, but people that don't even know that that's an aesop's fable everybody knows the story of the goose that laid the golden egg and it gets thrown around so much in our culture and it's used a lot to describe business moves and a lot of those times, I really don't think that this metaphor fits. I mean, it's it's a nice catch-all that people throw out there. But I hear it all the time concerning Coca-Cola and the new Coke debacle. And again, I just don't think that that really fits the metaphor. Um, Coca-Cola did not kill the goose that laid the golden egg. Coca-Cola got rid of their goose because they thought they could replace it with another goose and it would be even better. Now, for any of you that aren't old enough to remember the Coca-Cola Wars of the early 80s... Um, Pepsi had been around for a long time. It was introduced in 1893. Now, just like Coke, when we say introduced, it was not a nationwide product. It was one guy had a pharmacy that had a soda counter in it, and he started selling Pepsi Cola. Now, I'd always heard that it was called Pepsi Cola because the original formula had Pepsin in it to aid digestion. Uh, That's actually not true. Uh, Pepsi Cola has never included pepsin as an ingredient. The reason it was named Pepsi-Cola is, first of all, it's obviously cola-flavored. But the Pepsi comes from, it was marketed as a cure for dyspepsia. Dyspepsia is just a fancy medical term for indigestion. So it was marketed as a curative that's supposed to settle your stomach and aid with digestion. So that's why they named it Pepsi-Cola. Back then, pretty much anything was marketed as a curative just because number one, nobody knew there was no regulation to what you could say and couldn't say on a label. But basically, you know, anything with a lot of sugar in it, people didn't eat sugar very much. Uh, Human beings have never consumed a great deal of sugar. That's something new. Uh, That's also why we're suddenly also fat because everything's got a ton of sugar in it all of a sudden. But you know, back in the 1893s, if you drank something with a bunch of sugar in it, you'd get a sugar rush, and you'd feel good for a couple hours. So people thought that all these things had these just miracle curative properties. And, of course, you could say anything you wanted to. Truth in advertising was not a thing back then. But very slowly, this was sold to some other places. It was licensed out. He, you know, people don't realize a lot of these places or a lot of these sodas They didn't start out manufacturing their own product. They would produce the syrup, sell it to other drugstores and apothecary shops so that they could make that product in-house and sell it to their customers. It was not like a central bottling that got shipped out ready to drink. Uh, They were just selling the syrup. Now, Pepsi-Cola very slowly gained a little bit of traction, but it was never a serious threat to Coca-Cola. You know, their market share grew very slowly. Coke dominated the market all through the 20th century. And in the late 70s and early 80s, Pepsi sort of changed their marketing and went with national ads where they were directly going after Coca-Cola as a competitor. And This had a very big effect on their market share. It jumped up quite a bit. Um, at one point, it actually surpassed Coca-Cola, and that really shook up the heads of Coca-Cola. They got rid of their CEO, Uh, Coca-Cola, not Pepsi, Uh, but they, Coca-Cola fired their CEO and installed a New CEO, and he felt like he had to do something to save the company. Now, his idea backfired spectacularly. I don't remember what new Coke tasted like. I remember drinking it and not liking it. But as far as what it actually tasted like, I have not. It's 40 years ago at this point. One thing I do remember very distinctly, however, is how happy I was when Coca-Cola announced that they were going to start selling Coca-Cola Classic and actually, I'm drinking a Coke right now. I just took a look at the label. It does not say Coca-Cola Classic anymore. Uh, it did for years, even though they only produced new Coke for, I think, like two years. It said Coca-Cola Classic on it for the next three decades. But they have finally taken that off the label. And I've heard people speculate that this was an intentional move by the Coca-Cola marketing team, that you know this was done specifically so people would miss the taste of old coke and it would up their market share i don't buy that for a second that that is a very low percentage play if they were actually doing that they're idiots and they need to lose their job just because it happened to work out does not mean it wasn't a bonehead move but no they just coke was losing shares and everybody panicked and they did something stupid but again that does not really fit the metaphor of killing the goose with the golden egg because again, they did not kill the goose. They just put him out to pasture because they thought they had a, a better goose waiting in the wings. I've seen that term used to describe Rockstar Games and what's going on with them. And again, I don't agree with that. Now, the reason I talk about Rockstar Games is because I am a huge fan of Rock. Well, I'm a huge fan of what Rockstar Games used to be and the video games that Rockstar used to produce. As I've said before, Rockstar is really a victim of their own success because Grand Theft Auto 5 is just a huge success. It's a nine-year-old game and I think they're still on Grand Theft Auto online. I think there are generally about a hundred thousand people a day that play that game. It's almost 10 years old and there's a hundred thousand people every day playing that game. I mean they just really I mean they've had a cash cow show up and it's just sat on their doorstep for a decade and they're really just kind of cruising on that success and so I don't I don't think that that metaphor fits Rockstar Games because Rockstar Games did not kill the goose that laid the golden egg. Uh, Rockstar's goose died of old age a couple of years ago and they're just wringing its corpse out hoping that a couple more will pop out. I think some of the most fitting examples of killing the goose that laid the golden egg comes from the American automotive industry. Now, for years I drove Jeeps. I drove a Jeep for probably they're right at 20 years. Uh, my wife had a, cheap, a, cheap, a Jeep Cherokee. Uh, she loved it. It was a great vehicle. Now, these were 90s models that we were driving, and they were great vehicles. That, that straight six that Jeep made for years was a fantastic motor. It was bulletproof. As long as you did just a bare minimum of maintenance, you did not have anything at all to worry about as far as the engine went. Um, those things would just run forever. It had good power, Now, Jeep did not decide to get rid of that engine, which would really have been one of the dumbest business decisions ever made. The reason that they do not produce that engine anymore is because of the government cafe standards. They simply could not get the fuel mileage that they needed to get out of that old design. The unfortunate side effect of that is that one of the best examples of American engineering got regulated out of existence. And it's a shame because that was just a fantastic engine but I loved the Jeeps. There's a reason I don't drive Jeeps anymore, and I would love to have another Wrangler. I loved my Wrangler. The reason I got rid of my Jeep Wrangler is after my second child was born, if anyone has ever tried to get an infant and a toddler into the backseat of a Jeep Wrangler, you very quickly realize that that is not a family-friendly vehicle, and so I upgraded to a Grand Cherokee, which was a great vehicle. I liked it, but I really miss my Wrangler. And like I say, I would like to have another one, but I just don't think that Jeeps are worth me spending my money on at this point. Uh, they're just rolling repair bills. They they leak oil. It really, and the car is 140 years old now. Modern companies can't figure out how to keep oil from leaking out of an engine. You know, some c- car companies do. Toyota's hardly ever leak oil. Honda's hardly ever leak oil. If those places can figure it out, why cannot... Why can Chrysler not figure this out? Why is this just something that's just a bridge too far for them to get get hammered out? And even though the quality isn't there like it was 20, 30 years ago, Jeep Wranglers command a huge price on the secondary market. I mean, you'll look at Wranglers that people have for sale that's just a bone stock Wrangler. It's 12 years old and it's got 140,000 miles on it. And they're still asking $12,000, and it's that's just not worth it at that point. I mean, that's the price it commands because for all its shortcomings, the Jeep Wrangler is an icon of the American automotive industry. And it really does have a lot of shortcomings. You give up a lot when you decide to drive a Jeep Wrangler. You're giving up a lot of ride quality, a lot of creature comforts. If you get a soft top version and you're driving over 45, you can forget about listening to the radio or having a conversation because all you can hear at that point is wind noise and flapping. And again, I'm speaking from experience because mine was a soft top and at highway speeds, it is noisy is not the word for what it is inside that car. One good thing about the Wranglers, particularly the soft top Wranglers, is it's really hard to get a speeding ticket in a Wrangler because if you're on the interstate and you're doing 60 miles an hour and you think to yourself, "You know what? I'm going to do 70." The car will actually ask you, "You know what what do you think you're doing right now?" So it's real hard to get a speeding ticket at least at highway speeds. Obviously, you could get one in a school zone, but but despite the drawbacks to the design, the Jeep Wrangler is just achieved cult status. And there's always going to be a demand for them. Even though the quality is not what it was 20 years ago. We're Maybe a little longer than that, but very shortly and or very recently in our past, the Jeeps were just a rock solid, dependable vehicle, and they're simply not that anymore. And that's part of the reason. That's a big reason why I don't drive Jeeps anymore. Uh, currently, me and my wife both have GMCs. I drive a Canyon. My wife drives a Yukon. Now, we just recently replaced or purchased this Yukon that my wife is driving. Previously to that, she had a 2011 Yukon. And it was as reliable and as dependable as any vehicle we have ever driven. The new one is not living up to that reputation. And it's making me think now, hers is a 2018. My Canyon is a 2015. Now, there are a couple of little niggles on my Canyon, uh, nothing major, but there have been a couple of little issues with it. And I had always thought, that I sort of broke a rule when I purchased that vehicle. 2015 was the first model year of a major body redesign for the Canyons. And my rule is, and this is very good advice, you should live by this, never ever buy the first year of a major redesign, because there is inevitably going to be a couple of little things that they didn't have quite worked out, and you're going to have a couple little bugs and issues. And it's usually nothing there would be a deal breaker, but it's something that you're going to have to live with for the time that you have that vehicle. My advice has always been wait till at least one year after that. You know, if they redesign in 2020, don't buy the 2020 Buy the 2021 because all those little issues that were unforeseen that you just can't find out during testing for the new model, you have to get a bunch of cars on the road and see how they do. A lot of those issues will get worked out for the next year. You know, basically think of the first year of a new model is sort of a a testing year. Uh, Don't buy that one. Let somebody else find out what's wrong with it. Then you can buy the year after that. I broke that rule. I bought the first year and I thought that it was just some of these issues. But now I'm kind of wondering, is it just that their quality had started to slip in 2015 and now we're really seeing it in 2018? And like I say, the GMC was building a fantastic vehicle. The 2011 Yukon we had, the only thing we ever had go wrong with it was the oil pressure sending unit failed, which was about a $40 part. Absolutely no big deal. That is the only thing we ever had go wrong with it. And when we traded that vehicle in, it had 285,000 miles on it. So when we went to get another vehicle for my wife, we never considered anything but another Yukon because we were just absolutely enamored with GMC, with the quality. Plus, she just likes the vehicle. She likes the size. And I do, too. I think it's a good-looking vehicle. It's got plenty of power. They ride fantastic. When we travel back and forth to visit family, everybody in the car has got a ton of room. It's just a comfortable vehicle for us to drive back and forth to Virginia. In. But GMC... They were riding high on just this reputation of even, even their marketing, and I know marketing, that you know they can say whatever they want to, but even their marketing kind of played toward this, you know, professional-grade engineering. The problem that you're running into, or at least GMC is running into, is based on the corporate structure of these companies. Now, I am not anti-corporate. I'm not anti-capitalist. I, I think corporations do a lot of good. But in this instance, there is one thing that they have a big weakness on, and it's if the financial numbers aren't better year to year, the CEO loses his job, a lot of the board members lose their seats on the board because you got to keep the shareholders happy. And the way you keep the shareholders happy is by turning a profit. And what happens at these major car manufacturing companies is you get a new CEO that comes in, or sometimes it's, it's the same guy, but he just feels like he's got an idea to, to up the profits and keep the shareholders happy it's you know they'll look at it and it's like okay we're paying $200 for every steering rack that we put in this model car I spoke to a supplier last week that said that they could build us the exact same steering rack and it would only cost us $165 so for every vehicle we put on the road we're saving $35 that's just profit right in our pocket you know, let's go with this other company. We'll reduce our costs a little bit. We'll still be building the same car. Nobody's going to care. And at the end of the year, that looks great. You know, your profits went up. You didn't have to lay anybody off. Everything was the same, but you're just making more money. Everybody's thrilled to death. And it's a fantastic way to look good on the spreadsheet. The problem comes in is, That is a really good business plan if the world was going to end five days after the end of the fiscal year. Because that first year, you're not going to see any issues going with these cheaper manufacturers. And that's going to come two years down the road, three years down the road, when you find out that the steering racks that you're buying at the cheaper price, all the seals fail and that thing's belching power steering fluid all over your driveway. And then you've got unhappy customers in the dealerships. You're getting bad word of mouth. People are starting to say that your cars are junk, like, I I don't know, maybe on a podcast. And that's when you start to see the issues. But you've got this one year. You're sacrificing your future to be able to go to the shareholders meeting and be the hero. And it's such a short-sighted way to look at your business model. I'm sure it's nice to get all the applause at this year's board meeting, but the following year or the following year after that, suddenly your warranty repair costs are going to start to go up. You know, complaints in the dealerships are going to start to go up. Your sales are going to start to go down because the word's getting out that these vehicles aren't as reliable as they used to be. There's a big cost in repairs if you want to own one of these vehicles. Then suddenly the secondary market is is just gone and you're not selling parts to dealerships. You know, A lot of people feel like that, these corporations, they don't care about people buying used cars because that's not money coming to them. But most people are still going to have to buy parts. They're still making money, even though you did not purchase that vehicle directly from a GMC dealership in this this particular case. But the corporations do want people buying their cars on the secondary market because that is a source of income for them. And if word gets out that you know if you're looking for a cheap vehicle, yeah, you can get this used car that's not that old without that many miles on it for a good price. But you're going to pay out the wazoo just trying to keep it on the road. People are going to stop buying that vehicle. And so I believe that GMC is killing the goose that laid the golden egg. For the purposes of this metaphor, the goose is their reputation for building quality vehicles. And they have gutted it up one side and down the other because they're trying to make a quick profit. And it's not like these are you're just random people they've pulled off the street and put in charge of their corporation and said, hey, see what you can do with this. You know, these are people that have MBAs and have been in the industry for years and years and years. And I just do not see why intelligent, educated, experienced businessmen and women can't understand that they're screwing themselves in the long run. I mean, the industry has got a shining example of what you can do by building quality vehicles. And that's Toyota. Now, granted, I, I work for Toyota, so I've got a little bit of a positive attitude toward Toyotas, but I'm going to be completely honest. I have never owned a Toyota vehicle. I don't drive Toyotas. I appreciate the engineering. I understand that they are a very well-made vehicle. I just, I'm just not a fan of the cars themselves. I think they're kind of blah. And what I drive is what well, they call it a midsize, but it's the smaller pickup. It's just not a full-size because full-size pickups at some point became the size of Greyhound buses. Uh, but I drive a midsize pickup truck. I don't like the seating position in the Toyota Tacomas. I don't like the way they're geared. I just don't think they're very pleasant to drive. Now, they're an incredibly reliable car. They're very capable off-road. Uh, they've got a lot of creature comforts that they didn't use to. But again, I'm just not a fan of the Toyota truck, so I don't drive them. That being said, Toyota has built their company slowly over the years simply by producing an affordable, reliable, well-built, dependable vehicle, and they have continued that right through today. Toyota has got such a reputation for dependability that most people that buy Toyotas, they don't understand that that car is going to need maintenance and work at some point. They really believe that you buy a Toyota and you never have to do anything to it you're probably never going to have a catastrophic breakdown that leaves you on the side of the road, but things need to be replaced. I mean, wear and tear happens. I always joked that I was going to hang a banner off the front of the service counter that said, if it moves, it will need to be replaced eventually. And that's because if a, if it has a moving part that is going to cause friction, that's going to cause wear, and eventually it will wear out. Now, some things wear out pretty quickly like brake pads and rotors you might get two years out of those you know some things like uh, the flywheel you might get 20 years out of but anything that moves is going to wear out eventually but Toyota buyers expect the vehicles to be so well built that they'll never have to do anything and you know Toyota has earned that reputation by and large I mean they just really they over-engineer their vehicles and they do it because they know that that is their bread and butter I was setting up an appointment for a gentleman one day and he was being a little bit snippy. He wasn't being a, an outright asshole, but you could tell he was aggravated. And he was saying that, you know, I'm bringing it in the check engine lights on. This is the third time that check engine lights been on in like two months. And I'm getting a little aggravated with that thing coming on all the time. And I was like, no, I, I understand that's, that can be a big aggravation and it's taking up your time. You know, let me get your information. We'll get you an appointment set up. We'll see what's going on. I said, what, what year is your vehicle? He said 2003. Now, this was like in 2017. I almost laughed at the guy. Like, your car's 14 years old, and you don't expect the check engine light to ever come on? Are you serious right now? But that's the the attitude that people have, and the reason they have that is because Toyota has shown through years and years of just building these fantastic vehicles that that's kind of what people can expect. Now, it's a little out out there to think that the car is never going to need anything. I mean, all cars need work, even if it's just basic maintenance. But you can build a company just off providing a reliable product. And I feel like that the CEO at GM should be well aware of that fact. Now, I don't know why they don't see that or if they don't care. Maybe they think, you know, I'm just here for a couple of years and I don't care what happens beyond that. I want good reports while I'm here and then I'm out the door and it's somebody else's problem. But it's such a short-sighted way to go about running your business when you have that much education and that much experience and that century-long history of the automotive industry to draw from, it is so stupid to do the things that they do. Now I've rambled on about this a little longer than I expected to. So uh, let's just, let's wrap things up here. Uh, Let's give a quick recap of what you need to take away from today's show. Don't kill a goose if it lays you a golden egg and don't buy GM products. All right, guys, that's about all I've got for you today. I hope you enjoyed today's show. I know that was a little bit of a personal rant, uh, but if you did enjoy today's show, please leave me a like and a comment. And as always, a subscription would be hugely appreciated. You can leave me a comment at freshrosensoutherner at gmail.com, or you can go to the Fresh Rosen Southerner Facebook page. All right, guys, I hope your work week went well. I hope your weekend's going to be fun, too, and we will talk again very soon. Thank you very much.